My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Well, as many of you know, I have a journey every year where I read through the Bible. I started that because of my mother back in the 80s, about 30 plus years into it. And you know, if you've ever read through the Bible, you know that that can be pretty challenging. I do that every year. It doesn't really take that long, 15, 20 minutes, depending on where you are. I just open up the little app on my phone these days to tell me what you read, and I read that read a different translation every year, and I more or less, you know, enjoy the whole journey. And I say more or less because if you've ever actually read through the whole Bible, some of it can be quite challenging. It really can be. Uh, A lot of people start off with their New Year's resolutions, and they make it through Genesis. It's awesome. There's tons of stories. Man, those people put the fun and dysfunction. It's awesome. People go, I want to, you know, I want to Bible, you know, family kind of people, like not those people, they're messed up people, but that's us too, right? And then you make it to Exodus and there's this great journey of God showing up at a bush and Moses and the people going out of the land of Egypt into the promised land. That's fun. Genesis, oh, Leviticus. Yeah. Then you get there and you're like, oh, that's a lot of blood. That's a lot of weird, you know, and then most people just kind of die in Leviticus. They're done, you know, and, and uh, I've done that too. But if you keep your way through and you keep going, it gets exciting. It gets depressing. It gets really frustrating at times because we're just human beings like you and me. But every once in a while, I'll, you know, realize that I'm not enjoying parts of the Bible. A number of years ago, I realized that I wasn't enjoying Isaiah. I just didn't get it. You know, it was just one of those guys I wasn't connecting with. And then it was funny because I read two other books in my doctoral work about chapters in Isaiah, and I fell in love with that. And it's kind of like somebody had to hold my hand to figure out Isaiah. And the next year when I read through, I got to Isaiah, and it was awesome. It was beautiful. It was poetic. It was exciting. And it was just one of those things. It's like, man, this is really good. Why did I miss it? And I was just missing the poetry. There's so much in there. There's so many chapters that'll jump out. But Isaiah is a prophet. Now, if you think about prophets, um, you got to realize that they're people that are called to speak on behalf of God. I I was talking to someone about this a week ago. I was on an airplane, and this is a gal. I don't know if I shared this last week. She was reading Ezekiel, which is, that's a really, that's, wow, that's an interesting book too. And, um, and, you know, I said, you know, here's kind of how I would sum up the prophets that they are people with perfect pitch. 
absolutely perfect pitch. And they're going to hear an orchestra, and there's somebody like a second-chair violinist who just is a little bit off on one of the strings. Nobody else knows what's going on. But they hear it. It's just a little bit annoying. And then the people next to the first chair, other, some of the other instruments start to tune uh, to that person. And they're off, and now more are getting off. And then the average person, it's fine. You know, they, they're used to rock and roll, so everything's out of tune anyway. And so they're listening to it. And then at some point, it's like chaos. Well, see, a prophet is someone who has perfect spiritual pitch. And they know exactly what it should sound like. They know the exact standards of God. And they're so frustrated. They're so angry. They're so heartbroken that God's people are okay with whatever tuning that the culture around them or that they develop. And, and they rail against it and they preach against it. And they do all kinds of crazy things. I would not want to be a prophet. But one of the things that they do is they preach to God's people and say, you have gotten off the path. You have sinned. You have violated God's standards. You need to get back on the path. So that's half of what it means to be a prophet. And Isaiah's like that. He's prophesying against his people. God's words, God's statement. You've lost it. You need to find it again. The other half of a prophet is the kind of prophetic word that speaks about the future. And we think that's the only idea of prophet. But there's a lot of that in the Bible. And it's like in the coming days or soon this will happen or one day. And there's a lot of that in Isaiah. There's a lot in the Old Testament. And most of it centers around this hope that one day the king will come. One day the anointed one, the Messiah, will come and one day he will bring in his kingdom and one day we will be with God ruling and reigning on the earth. And everybody was looking forward to that. In fact, we are still looking forward to that. We're experiencing some of it, but not the fullness of it until Jesus comes back again. Well, so Isaiah writes a lot of words like that. And this is a great one. I like this. This is in Isaiah 35 and verses 5 and 6. The whole, the whole section is talking about what life will be like when Messiah comes. And when he comes, now we look back and go, oh, that's Jesus, okay, and his kingdom. When he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Now, we see this because we open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the gospel stories about Jesus. And we see him doing that. We see in every one of these encounters, Jesus comes up to people who are hurting, who are broken, who have sickness, who have illness, who have these incurable problems. And with a touch, with a word, um, or his spit, uh, he heals them, right? I can't ever think about, you know... Jesus healing people without going to John 9, where Jesus spits in the dirt, makes some mud, sticks it on the guy's eyes, you know? It's like, whatever, okay, that's a little junior high-ish, you know, to some of us, but that's what he does, and the guy can see, he opens the eyes that are blind, right? I just, in reading through the Bible, I'm in, in, you know, these stories now in the Gospels about Jesus, and in this one, he spits directly in the guy's eye. I'm like, man, it's like, I don't know what that guy did to offend Jesus. It's like, spit right in the eye. Try that this week, see how that works. I'm pretty sure your teacher or the HR department will have a meeting with you, right? Okay, so, so Jesus does these things, and yet people are healed, and it's phenomenal. He unplugs the ears of the deaf, the lame leap like a deer, those who cannot speak will sing for joy, but then Jesus dies. And he goes to a cross, and it's confusing, and it's dark, and it's depressing, and they're disappointed because we thought the kingdom was going to come. 
And we thought he was going to usher in the kingdom. We thought the Messiah was going to like turn the key and open the door to everything that the Old Testament says. And yet Jesus had a different plan. He dies on a cross for the sins of the world, for you and me. And he's resurrected. And then he teaches and he goes up sins to heaven. He says, now you go and be my witnesses. That's what we're looking at in the book of Acts. You go and tell everybody everywhere what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced. You're my witnesses. Now you do that. I've done that, but I only was here to set the course for you to do it. I'm going to go build the kingdom, the heaven part of it, the eternal part of it, but here I will build it through you, this physical and spiritual on the earth. And so since that, 2,000 years ago almost, the kingdom of God has been advancing and people have come into that. And what you think, though, you've got to think that those early followers of Christ would wonder about this. Well, I'd even go back. Imagine what a person in the day of Isaiah would have thought about this. It's like hot off the presses. The new scroll from Isaiah has been released. Everybody's checking it out. It's on the Jerusalem top 10 list. And people are talking about it. There are commentaries on it. You know, there people are addressing and they get to this. They go, wow, when is this going to happen? When is the lame going to leap like a deer? We could use some of lame leaping like a deer today. But it didn't happen. This is about 750 BC before Christ. That's, all, that's really old. We don't have any way to really think about that as, as American citizens here because in our United States, you'd triple that. You'd get there, right? So this is really, really old, okay? And so, I don't know, it doesn't happen and then time goes on and time goes on and then uh, the nation gets thrown into disarray as they get taken off. 722, 586, 87 BC, they get carted away and they're wondering, when are you going to come back? When are you going to unplug the ears? When are you going to, you know, cause people to jump for joy, right? Leap like a deer. And then they don't see it. And then the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, or if you're Italian, Malachi, that prophet, you know, says, and then the, you know, and he describes the same thing. You know, he'll rise with, you know, healing on his wings and the, you know, people will leap and it's like, yes. And then 400 years of seeming silence, God's moving and God's working. And then Jesus shows up and it happens, but then it's gone. Was that the whole purpose? Well, then James and John show up and we see it happening. I mean, you got to think that at the time of James and John, like 35 AD, there had to be somebody sitting there reading Isaiah and wondering, God, why are you slow? Why did you tease us with this? And we saw a glimmer, but it's gone. I thought we were going to experience this. Could it be that Isaiah kind of like, you know, was, wasn't firing on all cylinders, perhaps? Could it have been Isaiah, maybe, you know, he came down from a mountaintop experience and got a little lightheaded and wrote it. Maybe the wheel was turning, but there was no hamster spinning, you know what I'm saying? Could it be that it, he got it wrong? Because we're not experiencing it. We could sure use this. We get this because we have hopes and dreams of what God could and should and promise to do in our own lives. We have these expectations of God. We have these desires for God to do great things, God-sized things, right? And we wait here expectantly for God and we just wonder why isn't he showing up? I mean, think about it. Some of you, you know, you anticipate this thing and you go, but then God's going to show up. Some of you, we think about this relationally. You're waiting for uh, some, somebody to change, 
You can't. You know, you can hit them upside the head. You can knock on a wrap. They got to change from the inside out. And you've been waiting on someone to change. You've been waiting on their spiritual eyes to be opened or their ears to be opened. Them to, you know, spiritually get up and wake up. And, and we do that in other realms, too. You know, we get excited about the future. We think of what might happen. You know, when you're young, you're like, yeah, I'm going to go to high school. And I'm going to, you know, then you get to high school. It's like, then I'm going to graduate from high school. And we get excited about the future. And we anticipate that something's going to be there, right? And then we go to college or we get into a career. And then, you know, we anticipate getting married. We anticipate settling down, you know, and unless you live in Washington County, we anticipate buying a home, you know, good luck with that today. We anticipate having children. We anticipate and look forward to those children leaving the home, you know what I mean, to retirement, 65, 67 and a half, whatever it is now. And we anticipate and we kind of wait. And every once in a while, along the way, our heart is broken. We're disappointed. Pain has affected us. Sin has cut into our very soul. And in the deepest parts of our life, we're anticipating God to do something. And we don't see him do that. And we're waiting on God. We're begging God to show up. When is God going to, you know, fill in the blank? When is he going to save my son or daughter, my husband or my wife? Or when is God going to rescue me from this dilemma that I'm in? When am I going to be able to leap for joy? When am I going to be able to really see clearly? It's It's a challenge because we live in a broken world, right? We live in a world filled with pain where we sin and we sin against others and we mess up people's lives. And boy, I mean, it can be decades of messed up lives because of one thing that happened, even as a child or as a teenager, or as a young adult, and the destruction just, just digs deeper into our soul. We're like, but God, you promised and you were going to show up. I can sense that's how these people would have thought that. And then one day in just an instant, God does show up and he changes everything. Now, if you've been following along with us in the book of Acts, we're studying the journey of the early church. Again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the book of Acts. It's the Jesus 2.0 kind of thing. Now, Jesus is gone, God's spirit's down here, and now he's fleshing this out in the early church. And we've been living this for 2,000 years now, but even we are still waiting on God to deliver us and to do some of the things that he promised. So the story that we're going to look at today, we're only going to be able to see the first 20 verses of chapter 3. You could grab your Bible and turn there, open up your app or whatever, and look at that. And then it's going to continue into next week. We won't even get to see all of it today, but we'll continue it into next week because it's a phenomenal story. It takes up two chapters of the book of Acts, 3 and 4. So I'm excited. I've already got most of chapter 4 sermon written, just really kind of fun, and, and I can't wait for that. So please come back. You know, in fact, if... You can leave now and come back next week. Next week's going to be so much better than today. I'm really excited about it. Um, but I still have to preach today, so we'll, we'll do that. And um, this is the story of what happened. Peter and John went to the temple. Who are Peter and John? They're the, excuse me, the early followers of Jesus, Peter, James, and John, the pillars of the church. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. I love this. They're Jewish people who are doing the Jewish time of prayer. There's the morning, there's the afternoon, there's the evening. And they go up there to pray. As they approach the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. 
Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. So common experience. If you're lame, you're blind, uh, you, you've got some infirmity, it's not going to be fixed. There's, there aren't doctors that could heal. And some of this is from birth. And in this guy's case, it was. And in this guy's case, we'll see he's 40 years old. This is pretty traumatic. Now, 40 years old, think about that. And for 40 years, this guy hasn't been able to walk. He's been carried for 40 years. Think about that. As I was thinking about this last week, writing this text, I thought, 40 years. So I just hopped on the Wayback Machine, and what happened 40 years ago? 40 years ago, Sony introduced the Walkman. That changed everything in American culture, right? The Walkman. We would never have an iPod or an iPhone or an i-anything if it hadn't been for Sony inventing the Walkman. You can go on eBay and they're hundreds of dollars now. The gray and the yellow one. Remember that? That's how old, you know, that's how old I am. And so the Walkman, personal cassette. Even more importantly, 40 years ago, Pink Floyd released The Wall. Life-changing, you know what I mean? Okay. Uh, I liked it. Uh, Trivial Pursuit came out. Trivial Pursuit. ESPN began broadcasting 40 years ago. Thank you, Jesus, right? Now we can know about all sports at all time, right? Even ones we don't like, like cricket. Um, Three Mile Island. Three Mile Island had a meltdown. Uh, If you remember that, that was... Now all of a sudden we're waking up to the challenges of a nuclear age. 63 hostages were taken from the American embassy in Tehran. And they were held. 63 men and women were held. Finally came home. In December of 1979, I received Jesus Christ. 40 years old. And I don't know how because I'm still 29. But, you know, it's like 40 years ago, I received Christ. My friends, 40 years is a lifetime. And this guy's entire life, he was not able to get up and move. Can you imagine the challenge? Can you imagine his mom and dad? He's born. Maybe it's obvious. Maybe it's not. We don't know. But at some point, he's not walking. And I I love that. I have the videos of our son's first year and it's great, and, and we, we, we stop watching those on birthdays because they're way too embarrassing now, okay? Mom and I will watch them forever when you guys are gone, and that's okay. But this, at, you know, 11 months, 12 months, somewhere around there, they, you know, they're kind of wobbling like this. It's so cute, and then they take their first steps. Uh, a week ago when I was up in Alaska, I was in a family's home, and young life leaders, husband and wife, a little, little baby, and, uh, you know, the baby's walking around couch surfing and then going around the coffee table. There's some ads from the supermarket, Albertsons or whatever, and I get down on my knees and I'm coloring with the baby, you know, talking, having a conversation. And then that night, we had a, a church meeting, and they're like, our baby walked today, Af- you know, afterwards. I'm like, yeah, I probably had something to do with that, you know what I mean? My coloring skills. Um, and yet, isn't that just awesome when your baby walks? And then you're like, slow down, you know, now you're running, you know. Um, They didn't have that. They didn't have that. Imagine the disappointment, the heartache as a mom and a dad. 
they carry their baby and then, wow, does their baby go to school? Maybe, maybe not. We can only imagine from that culture, maybe they carry the baby every day to synagogue to where the, the religious teacher is going to teach them the alphabet, reading, writing, the, the Torah, the law of God. And then, well, what are you going to do for a living? Well, th- nothing. I'm going to beg. And I'm going to just cry out to God's people to feed me. This was this man's existence. And for 40 years, this is all he knew until James and John go to pray and show up. Now, I want to show you this. This is a a picture here. I took this. This is of the Temple Mount. This is what used to be in the Holy Land Hotel in Jerusalem. Now it's at the Jerusalem Museum. Scaled model of it. And um, this is the Temple Mount. So when you think of the temple, we think of this. It's really this. This is the area, the altar. This is what's called the Royal Stoa. Uh, People would enter in here. Jesus taught on the steps here. This is the colonnades or the portico or porches that lined it. Roman-style columns. Herod the Great built it. And this is the court of the Gentiles. So when Jesus cleans the temple out, uh, this is what they had done. They had filled this area with buying and selling when that was supposed to be out here. This was for God's people of all nations to come and worship him. They had shut that down. This is the balustrade. This is the little wall. It's a meter Uh, in length, and that is the wall that says, if you're a Gentile and you cross it, you will die. We will kill you, and we won't have any judgment because you should read it. It says, don't cross this for Jews only. I was in Istanbul a year and a half ago and saw part of that, part of the mice, pretty powerful. And then this is the temple itself. This is cool. This is the Roman fortress, the Antonio fortress, and it's just looking down on you people. You know, (laughs) I like that. It's like, we just never want you to forget that we rule your life, okay? If you dig in closer here, this next picture this is the temple itself and this is the gate called beautiful and history tells us why it was called that and it was the entrance into this area the court of women the court of men and we're only the priests and then once a year the high priest goes in the back but this guy positions himself at the gate called beautiful every day because that's the place where the worshipers are going to come in and part of the religious life is to give to the poor strategically placing himself there, relying on his fellow Jews to live. But every day, going in and out, picked up, being carried, maybe on a mat, maybe on a chair, every day, in and out. And yet, here's a day when everything changes, when two men make eye contact with him. Look at this. This is what it says. Peter and John looked at him intently. By the way, Um, have you noticed that there are people begging on the corners in Hillsborough? Anybody notice that? Yeah. How can you not notice that? Everywhere, it seems like. What what do you do there? That's a tension. That's a challenge, right? Now, because this is church, you can't lie. Please don't lie. How many of you avert your gaze so you don't make eye contact with them? I'm raising my hands because that's me. Okay. I don't like it. I don't like the system. I tell people, don't give to that because they're good support systems and we'll just perpetuate. And, you know, you may or may not like my answer. Um, I would love to serve people. I've sat down and bought meals for people and had conversations, but I'm not just going to throw money because I know how that could be abused, right? And I'd rather build a friendship with the person. Plus, there are great support systems with churches in, in the area, Sunrise being one of them. But they looked intently at this guy. I wonder, 
I wonder what it had been like to beg. How many people didn't really look intently? Again, I'm, I'm just extrapolating. I'm wondering. Because when you're standing up and there's a guy down there or a gal down there and you throw some money in, and it's probably easier just to do that than to engage. And so they look intently into his eyes. And Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. You know, uh, Sunrise is a church for the least, the last, and the lost. And yet, we get this. We know this. People come into the front door looking for money. And we're not offended by that, because that's the need at the moment. But we also know there's a deeper need. There's a more, I'm going to say this, more important need. And that is something that money and cannot provide, and that is a spiritual need. And that's, that's how Peter and John approached this. Peter said, I, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Uh, Christ is, is the Messiah. And I know we all thought he was a Baptist. I'm sorry, that was John. Um, he's a Nazarene, which means he's from Nazareth, right? So in the name of Jesus, our Messiah, the one that came from that little backwoods community called Nazareth, one of our own, one of our own people, that prophet, in the name of that one, get up and walk. That's awesome. I know some of you moms and dads have said that to your kids, getting to school, get up, get up and walk, go, you know. Can you imagine Peter with that kind of boldness? He had seen Jesus do that. That's awesome. And Jesus has said, you're going to do even greater things than me. And yet this is it. This is the first miracle that we see in the early church, and it mirrors exactly, exactly what they had experienced in the early church. Now, it says, then Peter, in the next part of the text, took the layman by the right hand and helped him get up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. Luke is the one who writes this, and he's a doctor, and he's a detailed person. It's great to follow in the book of Acts. So he's writing, and in the original language, he's talking about the, the ligaments, the tendons, the internal components are being strengthened. You know, he gets this stuff. It's like from the inside out, all of a sudden, this guy has strength, and he gets up. He jumps up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, there's the word, leaping and praising God. He went to the temple with them. 785 years the people are waiting. And this is the guy, right? Apart from what Jesus did, this is the guy that now he's leaping like a deer. This is Isaiah coming true. This is God's promise, God's prophetic voice saying, now is the day, then this is going to happen. And I really believe this. And I, I don't just say this because I'm a pastor. I believe now could be the day. I really believe that because every day I see God work. Last, last week, I, I told this to our staff, but last Sunday night, a couple was sitting right here and afterwards I talked with them and within five minutes or so, seven minutes, they were receiving Christ. Today was that day. That was, last, that was it. Today could be your day for all kinds of healing, for all kinds of restoration. I, I know you come in looking for one thing and that's great. We get that. But this is the day when God could actually touch you and he could deliver something to you that will change your very life. And so when you think about this story and you think about it, man, for me, I, I love it. Thomas Aquinas, so living 1200 or so, um, he goes to visit the, the Vatican, as it were. He goes to visit the Pope, Pope Innocent II. And as Thomas goes in there, the Pope says to him, so Thomas... 
You know, as he's looking at all the extravagant wealth and the paintings and the, the, you know, the fabrics and everything, the ornaments, you see Thomas, the Pope says, the church can no longer say silver and gold have I none. Thomas turned to the Pope and said, true, but neither can she now say rise up and walk. Now, I don't read that to bash the Catholic Church. I read that to bash the church, okay? Because <laughs> we all fall prey to that, no matter what our group is. We get more enamored with our stuff and forget the least, the last, and the lost, the hurting and the broken. And I believe any time a church spends more of its money and more of its time and more of its focus and more of its energy and programming and all that stuff on those that are inside versus those that are outside, they've forgotten and they're probably focusing more on silver and gold, right? And then the big edifices and things like that. I'm glad we have a great building. I'm glad we have these things. I, I love it. This is wonderful. But we do all this to reach those that have yet to come, right? And, and as people, let's never forget that. Let's never focus on the wrong thing. Now, think about this. This guy's never walked, and his legs begin to feel this surging, this, this energy that he's never felt before. And then he's walking, and then he's jumping, and he's dancing, and he's leaping. And this is what it says. It says, at this, I mean, the people, let's go to the next text there. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astonished. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade. That's that area where the early church met there at the Temple Mount, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Now, if you remember Pastor Taylor's sermon a couple of weeks ago, a great, great conversation there, a great sermon, that it's like now's the opportunity, Peter, to step forward, preach a sermon. Peter does not disappoint. And so uh, after nearly 800 years, it's time. This is the moment. And so Peter and John, they're in there. And Peter saw his opportunity, it says. I love that. What I love about this, the next text here, Peter saw his opportunity, is that you and I every day have an opportunity. Every moment have an opportunity. Will you see it? Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? (laughs) I've got like everything. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty awesome, right? What is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is by the It is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant, Jesus, by doing this. He says here, this this is the same Jesus. Let's keep going with the text. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. That was Barabbas. You killed the author of life. That's one of the most beautiful texts. You killed the author of life. Man, if you remember back to Taylor's sermon, and you're in trouble, okay? It's like, okay, to kill the author of life, yeah, you're toast. All right. But God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. So Peter stands there with the same intensity he did in chapter 2. He seizes the opportunity. He says, let me tell you what's going on. It's not what you think. In chapter 2, it's no, we're not, you know, drunk and crazy. It's 9 in the morning, okay? And this one, it's like, no, no, no. It's not our godliness that did this. It's not our ability. Both of them, it's Jesus. It's God's plan. God had a sovereign plan. He's in charge, and he put this together, and we just are here at this right moment. So don't miss the moment. Don't miss the moment. He says, you guys rejected the one. You handed him over. You, your leaders, you killed God the author of life, the one who gave his life for you. 
And he says, but God is more powerful than that. Raise him from the dead. And we're witnesses of the fact. Look at this next thing. This is great. He says, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. That's it. By, this, by believing in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. They all knew that. I don't know, you know, they probably, you know, you kind of know people and you see people and, and uh, it's, you just know this, right? And you're there every day at the temple praying, maybe three times a day. You know names, you know people. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. That's it. That's the message we preach. It's faith. Faith is, is not, you know, like a foolish belief. It's not a belief in something that's not true. It's, it's taking a step, not into the dark, but into the light. And stepping out and going, by faith, I believe. That's what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. It's by faith. It's the evidence. It's the evidence. This thing's not seen, but it's true. And you believe and you step out in faith. And this is what it means to be, to be saved, to be healed, to have a brand new life. And then this is the last part right here. And we'll hone on this. Friends, I realize that what you did... What you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. That's, that's very gracious there. That's what Jesus said on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'm like, yeah, I think they know what they're doing, Jesus. <laughs> it's like, no, they don't. They don't get the ramifications. They don't really see. They were ignorant. They just didn't know. I realize, I realize, I'm not attacking you. You just didn't understand. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now, this is it. Repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Repent of your sins. If you think about that, at the very beginning of the Gospels, there's a guy named John, John the baptizer, John the Baptist, we call him. And so John's out there and he has a simple message, repent of your sins and turn to God, enter the kingdom. What does it mean to repent? Well, it means that you're going one way and you stop and go another way. It's a change of mind that results in a change of life, a course correction, right? To do a 180. Repent of your sins, he says, and turn to God. Well, then Jesus does that. He says the same thing as he's preaching the gospel, the good news, he goes, repent of your sins and turn to God and you'll enter the kingdom of heaven. They're doing the same thing. That's what we do at sunrise. That's all we say. We say there's only one way and that's by repenting of your sins and turning to Jesus, you'll enter into eternal life, into new life. And that is the message. Peter wanted them to know that following Jesus involves changing. Now I know, I know this, that we don't like that message. Because we don't like anybody pointing their finger at us and saying what we're doing is wrong. And so we excuse our sin and dysfunction and dis, disrepair and the, the, all the stuff that we do to ourselves and what others do. And so we kind of ignore it, push it down, we deny it. Uh, you know, we deflect it. We, 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 it's not that bad. It's not the big deal. And I can fix it myself. That's not repenting. Repenting is saying, you're right, God, I've, I'm sin- I've sinned, I'm wrong, and turning a new way and going the way of Jesus. And that, the Bible tells us, gives us his spirit, empowers us to live the correct life. Now, here's the deal, my friends. Uh, in just a few moments, we're going to pray. And um, I'm going to invite you to either come to the communion table, which is all around the sides and the back here in the front, 
or I'm going to invite you to come to the cross. Because that's, those are the only two options today. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> you have already repented and turned to God. You get to thank Jesus for dying on the cross. Or otherwise, you need to come to the cross, and the ground is leveled at the foot of the cross, and kneel at the cross, and receive the forgiveness that comes from the cross, from Jesus Christ, okay? But when you think about this, what's the pushback? I mean, if there's, I wrote this down. If there's ever going to be any real change in our lives, we can't say no to God. Because saying no to God is what got us in trouble in the first place, right? That's what gets us in relational problems and financial problems. I mean, all of our problems come because we say no to God and yes to ourselves. Now, what Peter's done, and I just want to draw to a close here, is he said something really, really good here. He said this. He says, now repent of your sins. And the idea there is that you turn from that old life. And then turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. And, and that word repent means to stop this and go this direction. The word wipe away, is a, it's a great word. We would use it to erase completely like a whiteboard, you know. And God will do that. But I ask you, in closing, who do you find yourself most like in the story? I mean, are you the beggar? That's great. You're the beggar. You're, you're the person that needs to come and you, you spiritually can't walk or you can't run or you can't move. You got problems. People are carrying you. That's good. That's awesome. Let God identify that in your life. You're far from God. Come to him. And that's why we do what we do at church at sunrise is for you. But you have to come to the cross and come to Jesus by faith. Repent of your sins and turns away, turn away from that and, and you'll be clean. And times of refreshment will come from God. And some of you, you're like Peter and John, and, and there's a lot of us out there. You know, don't stop looking intently at people. Don't get so busy, you just rush on. Stop, look, and reach out a hand to people. And some, some, you're like the friends and family. I mean, they're just the extra characters in the story here. But what they do is they carry their beggar friend every day to the temple. Some of you do that. For years, you've carried a spouse or carried a parent or a child or a friend and you, you're just like begging them to come to God you're begging them to come to God don't give up today could be the day it could be the very day Pastor Francis is going to come up to close us in prayer but I want to I want to say this uh, my wife likes to shop at Fred Meyer and you know every once in a while I think about that little jingle in there you know what's on your list today you know it's like sorry now you have a shopping list right but think about this there's biblical truth that we all have a list of our sins. We've all sinned against God. And there is a list. And that list is an offense to a holy God. And yet Jesus will come and wipe away all of that completely and refresh us and give us brand new life. But we got to repent and turn to him for that. What is on your list? And you know what? He knows it. I hope you know it and identify it because he knows it and he loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. I'm going to turn this over to Francis. Come on over here, buddy. Thank you, Pastor James. Uh, I believe God is speaking with you this morning. And uh, as I was uh, hearing Pastor James preach, uh, my mind went to this one verse in Psalm 130. Uh, the, God says, if, if you, O Lord, had to keep a record of my sins, I would not survive. You would not survive. But you know the good news there? It says in verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness. But with you there is forgiveness. And I also remembered another verse from Ephesians 5.14. It said, Arise, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. 
And I believe some of you are sleeping. And you're dead in your sins. You're dead uh, to God. You're dead in the, to, the, to, to God's desires for you. You're, dead, you're alive to the world and your desires of the flesh. And some of you may have been like, just like this lame beggar. Forty years, for so long, you have been running away from God, just sitting there, not finding a break. But God wants to speak with you. God wants to change all of that. You know what God wants to do? He wants to lift you up. He wants to give you that time of refreshing, the time of joy, the time of praise, just like this layman. He wa- he's saying to you, rise up, and you will walk. Don't you want that? The time of refreshing? I remember my own story where, where I, you know, I had all the things outside and outwardly, but inside I was full of rotten sin. And one day the preacher said, young man, rise up, rise up. And that day was different. Everything changed. So I want to lead you in a, in a prayer, and then we'll have an opportunity for you to come either to the cross or to the communion table. But don't let this opportunity go by. Because the Bible says, now is the time of salvation. Today is the appointed time. Why will you run away to your friend? And here, you're not here by accident. This is God's design and appointment that you're here. He doesn't want you to come back tomorrow. But today, now is the appointed time. So pray with me. Pray with me. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Just pray with me if you're one of those who says, I am running away. You have turned your back towards God, but now you want to turn your face towards God, to the cross. Run towards the cross. Say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have sinned against you. I can see the record of my sins. My conscience is speaking with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I am sorry for my sin. I repent, I turn away from my sin, and I want forgiveness of sin. I want my sin to be wiped out, and I want to experience your refreshing. I want your peace. I want your joy, and I want to become new. Make me new. And Jesus says, come to me, I will give you rest. So if you're one of those, I want you to get up, rise up, and come to the cross. Rise up right now and come to the cross. Don't let this go by. Thank you.